from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to the Centre for European Reform podcast. Uh, my name is John Springford, I'm Deputy Director here. Uh, we're interrupting our regular schedule uh, of fortnightly podcasts uh, because of the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 situation which is blowing up in Europe. Um, and we thought that we'd offer you a, a quick rundown on what's happening and also some of the economic policy responses that European countries should enact. First thing to say is sorry for the mail podcast. We scraped this together in a slightly emergency situation, but we've got two excellent thinkers for you to listen to today. We've got Luigi Scattieri, who is a foreign policy specialist, really, but he also tracks Italy quite closely, as that is his homeland. Welcome, Luigi. Thank you, John. Uh, and we also have Christian Odendahl, our chief economist, who is on the line from Berlin. Let's turn to the situation in Italy first. Back on February the 3rd, Italy had three cases. Uh, and five weeks later, uh, it's up to over 10,000, including 600, over 600 deaths. And the health system has struggled to cope, especially in the most affected regions. And yesterday, the government announced a lockdown across the whole of the country uh, in order to try to contain the spread. Um, so, Luigi, could you describe the lockdown measures, what they are and how they are intended to work? Sure. So, well, starting from the second part of your question, they're intended to work by uh, slowing the spread. As we know, uh, you know these measures are being considered uh, throughout uh, Europe, and um, they've been previously enacted in, in Asia. It is uh, maybe calling it a lockdown is a bit extreme. I mean, they are a series of very um, intense measures. So, for instance, uh, you know, schools are closed, universities are closed, all kinds of public ceremonies have been halted, including marriages, funerals, uh, all public manifestations of any nature suspended. But people can. Um, can go around for um, reasons of work, for reasons of health, and of course to buy food and other essentials. And this works through a self-certification. Uh, my feeling is that in the next few days these measures will be sharpened. Uh, by the time this goes out, it's quite likely that we'll be seeing a set of tougher restrictions with perhaps closures of, of certain workplaces and um, complete closures of restaurants and bars, which are now still uh, open in certain times of the day. Is, you, is your view the reason why uh, these measures are going to tighten because the Chinese lockdown measures, which were apparently much more draconian than what is happening in Italy right now, have been quite successful um, in reducing the, the rate of infection, which has, been, which has actually been falling in China um, over the last few days? I think so. I think people are looking at China, they're looking at South Korea, they're looking at uh, Japan, and uh, they're seeing that the kind of measures that these countries took seem to be effective in um, slowing down the spread of the disease. And now, as you say, in China, apparently, um, you know, there are very, very few new cases every day. So uh, Italy is definitely moving towards these measures. There are, you know, a lot of questions about how a democratic society can cope with such uh, extreme measures. And in part, this explains the slower speed with which they've been taken, I think. But uh, that is the model, ultimately, I think, uh, towards which we're looking. And do you think that um, other countries in Europe are, are going to have to enact similar measures? Um, and if so, how quickly do you think that's going to happen? 
Well, as to, uh, you know, if uh, there are several people that have uh, plotted the data and uh, come up with the conclusion that actually uh, most European countries are between a few days and two weeks behind Italy, so of course this assumes that they won't take measures. If they don't, then they'll be, uh, I think, forced to take them when the time comes, but if they take action now, they might be able to avoid a situation like, uh, like Italy's. And, and last question, I guess, Luigi, I mean, there have been complaints that the EU hasn't really been showing enough solidarity towards Italy. Um, and there was a story last night that China is going to be selling, I believe, rather than donating, but selling a lot of um, masks and respiratory equipment to Italy. I mean, is that your view of the situation too, that the EU has not really been stepping in to help enough? So, yeah, first of all, you're right on the selling rather than, uh, than donating. What the EU has done um, so far has been, you know, discussing further coordination measures, uh, Italy did ask uh, the Commission to activate the EU's mechanism for, for civil protection. The Commission did, but so far no member state has uh, has responded. And indeed many countries have actually imposed uh, export restrictions on uh, on supplying medical equipment. So China's move will be seen in a, in a very positive way. And I think there is, uh, you know, Italy is calling for further solidarity. Now this can mean several things. It can mean uh, European efforts to perhaps finance the procurement of greater medical equipment to support greater healthcare costs. What the EU has done, of course, is to signal an openness to um, to economic stimulus measures in the sense that these would not be calculated as part of the budget deficit limit. Or, or indeed, uh, this is, you know, suspending state aid rules for health to firms. Okay, thanks, Luigi. I mean, this is a helpful segue, I guess, into the economics. Um, and Christian and I posted a, an insight, uh, which we published yesterday, in which we first tried to explain the differences and similarities between the economic consequences of the, uh, of the epidemic and the financial crisis of 2008 to 9. Um, we've seen some panic on the markets in the last few days, which is partly down to the collapse in the oil price, but it's also about the fears of, the, uh, of what's going to happen economically as a result of the virus. Just briefly, the differences between then and now, the financial crisis was essentially a collapse in trust in the financial system, um, and investors feared that they were exposed to losses, and so they fled to safety in government bonds and so forth. Um, and that turned into a credit crunch that meant a lot of businesses went under and lots of workers were fired. And the effects of financial crisis in general, and certainly the 2008-9 financial crisis, uh, were very long-lasting. Um, and that's because there was a huge amount of debt that was going to have to be worked down over a long period of time. And the essential difference between the financial crisis and the coronavirus is that we know far more about the epidemiology here and therefore into the future um, than policymakers knew about what was going to happen financially as a result of essentially a collapse in the banking system. The reason we know more is because of the what's called the epidemic curve, um, which is that cases of infection essentially double about every three to four days. And before all of the people who are going to get the virus do so, and then the number of cases fall back, without contain containment measures, that process will happen very quickly, perhaps you know two months. With contain containment measures, then the infection rate will be slower. The number of cases will be spread out over a much longer period of time, and that will obviously help health systems to cope. But it will also extend the economic costs of the virus. 
However, we do know that even with those containment measures, after several months, that we will be able to start to get back to normal. Um, we don't know exactly how many months, but we know that it's a matter really of, of months rather than years, uh, as it was in the financial crisis. So this is essentially a temporary cash flow issue for businesses and households, um, although it's hard to know what temporary means exactly with precision. Um, and as a result of that, there are policies that can really make a difference. And here, let's turn to Christian. Um, perhaps you could run through what those policies are. There's a lot of people who have been saying, look, let's, let's have a general stimulus. The Bank of England today cuts rates by 0.5 points. Uh, there's a European Central Bank meeting tomorrow. Um, do you agree with those calls for, for, for general stimulus? So to some extent, the stimulus does help, right? Because not all parts of the economy are affected. Um, and sort of the expectation of a future recovery also depends on to what extent we stimulate the economy. Stimulus takes time for it to feed through the system. So I, I'm, I'm not an opponent of, of a general stimulus measure, um, but general stimulus at the moment at least is not the main issue that we need. So what we have is a very nasty combination of, of supply and demand shock. So firms cannot get supplies, they have to stop production, or workers are absent because they are self-isolating. So more demand at that point doesn't help that much if firms can't produce that much more. At the same time, firms lose revenue, they stop investing, consumers lose um, income, or you know the general anxiety prevents them from purchasing. So we have um, a very nasty combination of supply and demand problems at the moment. So the main issue is how to get the economy over this very difficult period. As you say, we know it will end eventually, um, but in the meantime, um, we, we have a problem uh, that businesses could go bust, that you know people lose income and so forth, leaving permanent scars. And this is what we, what we need to avoid. So that obviously suggests more targeted measures to support businesses and households. I mean, how, how can the government help businesses with these liquidity cash flow issues? Yeah, exactly. So the, so the question is liquidity, right? Firms need to pay lots of bills. And the question is how to help them. So the first is, of course, banks, because they are providing credit to, to companies, uh, also for liquidity purposes. So the first thing is for regulators and banks to work together so that they do not cut liquidity support to businesses and if possible extend them and this is exactly where i think the bank of england's uh, um, suggestion and and um, policy change uh, the direction in which it went so to give banks an incentive to extend lending particularly to small and medium-sized enterprises and the final issue on liquidity affects both firms and households and that is tax collection um, the state could easily defer the collection of all taxes until the end of the year, um, and that would give a liquidity uh, boost to both firms and households uh, because we need to pay payroll taxes, we need to pay VAT all through the year, and if that is deferred until the end of the year, there's a big boost to our liquidity. It wouldn't cost the states that much actually it wouldn't cost them anything because governments currently can borrow money on markets at zero even negative interest rates so in germany's case the finance ministry would even make a profit from deferring uh, the tax collection to the end of the year and that's um, um, and, and that's separate to the 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 cut in rates 
this is a this is a different policy, right? Exactly. So it's a cut in rates plus an encouragement for banks to support and to supply the the businesses with ample credit. Um, then, of course, you can subsidize that credit also via fiscal, for example, um, public investment banks, um, as in the case of Germany, they have a liquidity pool, which probably will be extended quite drastically to make sure that businesses can tap into this liquidity help, which will then be at subsidized rates. Uh, so it's very cheap to get uh, liquidity support. Um, and and I, I, my hope is that the ECB will do something. We call it in our insights uh, Corona Teltro, which is, Teltro is the, is the ECB technical term for such a targeted measure of um, incentivizing banks to, to extend lending. So this is sort of, you really need all those coming together to support liquidity. So you have the liquidity side of firms. Um, but there's also liquidity side of people, right? Because if you if you lose your job or you can't work for a certain period of time, you need um, to to replace the salary somehow. Um, some welfare states are organized in a way that the company needs to pay that, so you need to make sure that the company has access to funds for that. Germany has a short work scheme, meaning that firms can apply for subsidies when they send their their their, their people home, um, so that they do not cut cut wages. Um, or or, or um, get rid of staff. And um, for example, if um, auxiliary services like daycare, right, is closing and the parents need to take care of their kids again themselves and can't work and, and in return, uh, the parents need to have some sort of replacement for that wage. So those are also liquidity help, but for people. And I think in these here, European policymakers need to be very bold and very generous. This is not an issue that companies have made bad choices and sort of need to take the hit. This is a social issue and to socialize losses here and to socialize the cost of liquidity, um, I think is, is absolutely called for. Thanks very much, Christian. That was, that was terrifically clear. Um, final question really is, what about the recovery after the epidemic? So there's been a fair amount of discussion about um, whether it's possible to have what people call a V-shaped recovery where um, there's a big hit and then there's rapid catch-up growth afterwards um, and the economy heals itself very quickly. Um, you know, there's, there's some hope that that will be easier in manufacturing than in services. Um, could you give us some ideas about how one might go about stimulating the economy to make sure that that, that recovery is as V-shaped as possible? Yeah, I think, I think that that's very important that we exactly try to make clear already now that we will aim to make this recovery as v-shaped as possible so in manufacturing as you rightly said the people postpone their purchases right i for example need new glasses uh, but i don't have the time now or there may be supply constraints so i can't buy them now but that only means i will postpone that purchase right uh, in services that's not necessarily the case you know if i want to go to a restaurant with friends Okay, we may postpone this because we don't see each other often enough, but uh, usually you don't postpone your social consumption, as it were, right? You just you know, continue uh, as, as it was before. So there is a permanent loss for services. And so the question is, how do we best make sure that the recovery also in services and particularly social consumption is as V-shaped as possible? And this, in my view, would be announcing already now that we are going to cut VAT on social consumption for, let's say, nine months or something. Uh, in the future um, so that people know and also the banks that supply credit to these services companies know that when the recovery takes hold there will be a big boost to demand for these kinds of services and so we can extend credit already now so because it stabilizes the expectation of these businesses that there will be decent revenue coming in once the epidemic is over 
Okay, wonderful. So that was um, coronavirus in about 15 minutes. Obviously, we are going to have to say an awful lot more about uh, this uh, rolling crisis. But that's it. Thank you for listening and see you next week when Christina Perandi and Ian Bond will be discussing the latest in Ukraine. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.